0: Can be seated. Amen. I as you're grabbing your seats, go ahead and get your Bibles and open them to John chapter 12. We're still in John chapter 12, working our way through the back half of the book of John as we take an in-depth look at the final week of Jesus. If you're new with us, we are in a sermon series called It Is Finished. And we are taking a little bit of time, eight eight weeks together, to look at the intentionality of Jesus Christ on his way to the cross. I want everybody in here at the completion of our study to understand that this was God's plan and purpose from the very beginning, right? Jesus didn't find himself a a victim of his circumstances and just some things kind of happening to him and around him. But uh, he fulfills perfectly God's plan for our redemption from the very beginning, and John uh, beautifully lays it out for us. In fact, John spends half of his gospel focusing on the final week of Christ. The vast majority of the first 11 chapters, he spends talking about Jesus' three-year public ministry. And so we know that the final week of Christ is significant. And now as believers in Jesus with the ability for hindsight, now we recognize that it is the most significant week uh, in the history of the world, right? And so we want to study this so that we might agree with John, the author of this gospel in the 20th chapter, when he says that this is the son of God and in him You may have life. And so that's our goal. That's my prayer for all of us in here as we study this and as we see the intentionality of Jesus, we see that he's in control of this every step of the way. As we see he is intentionally going uh, to the cross, he's going to die and he's going to be buried. He's going to be raised back to life so that we might have eternal life. My prayer for us is that we would come to that place to that conclusion that this truly is the Son of God and in Him we can have salvation and forgiveness of our sins. And so that's the whole purpose of this entire study. Uh, By way of reminder, just to kind of catch you up to context, if you are new with us, this is our third week. This morning we're going to be looking at chapter 12 and we're going to start in verse 12 through 33 and we're going to be looking at Sunday of the final week of Christ. But before we do that, for for just a second, I want us to go back because some significant things have already happened that have led us up to this point. So about a week prior to where we're at, we know that uh, in the timeline and story, Jesus performs one of his last uh, miracles and he brings a guy back to life. And that guy's name is Lazarus, right? And as you can imagine, uh, bringing somebody who's been dead for four days back to life has caused a little bit of a stir uh, in the local community there in Bethany Now Bethany's about two miles outside of Jerusalem and this is where Jesus has performed this miracle we see it at the back end of John chapter 11. so he brings a man who's been dead for four days back to life. And it causes quite a stir, as I said, and the Jewish leaders, they get together in the council or what is called the Sanhedrin. It's a group of 70 men that come together and they are trying to decide the fate of Jesus. Like, what are we going to do about this guy who's now raising people from the dead, right? And so they conclude that we need to arrest him and we need to kill him right and and actually Caiaphas who's high priest that year says it would be better for Jesus to die than all the rest of us right and we see in scripture that it says he didn't say that on his own accord but God used him to prophesy that that's exactly what Jesus would do right so in a way Caiaphas is absolutely correct it would be best for Christ to die instead of all of us. And that's Jesus' plan and intent all along. But that's that's really the backdrop of what's happening. So when they decide they want to arrest Jesus and they want to kill him, he moves back to Ephraim, which is about 13 miles outside of Jerusalem. So he puts a little bit of distance between himself and the crowds, and he lays low for a couple days. And we see that they're preparing for the, fa- the Passover feast. And so he's working his way back to Jerusalem, and he's he goes back to spend an evening and a meal with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and he's gonna spend the Sabbath with them, right? So now we're talking Friday and Saturday of the weekend. So they share this meal at the meal, Mary anoints, the feet of Jesus, recognizing that he truly is the son of God. And so she she does this extravagant uh, act of worship for Jesus because she recognizes that he is the son of God and that she wants to do this On his behalf. And so that leads us into Sunday of the week, and that's where we're picking up in the timeline uh, as far as our study is concerned. So now, John chapter 12, starting in verse 12, we are in the triumphal entry. This is Sunday. For those of us that are believers, we recognize this to be what we would call Palm Sunday, right? We're just doing a more extensive uh, study of this, so we're doing it today instead of the weekend before. Easter, But that's where we're at in the timeline. And I want to read for you, starting at verse 12 through verse 33. I know it's a lot of verses to cover, but it gives us a really good picture of everything that's happening on this Sunday, the final week of Jesus' life. And the next week, when we pick back up, John jumps ahead. John kind of skips Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of Jesus' life, and he takes us straight to Thursday, where Jesus is going to institute the Lord's Supper as he has his final meal with his guys. And a large portion of the book of John is dedicated to those 24 hours of Jesus's life. But where we're at today, I want to make sure that we understand first. So I'm going to read all these verses, and then there's some things that I want us to unpack together and some observations for us to make. So read with me, starting in John chapter 12, verse 12. It says the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. This is is a significant thing here, right? That means... Uh, save us or save us now. So they're crying out to Jesus, waving these palm branches, save us now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And so they're saying like, this is king, this is the Messiah. They're, they're waving the palm branches, they're, they're actually shouting, save us and, and please save us. And so we see verse 14, Jesus finds a young donkey and he sat on it, just as it is written, The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now what they're not going to see coming is that his glorification is going to come through his death, burial, and resurrection. But Jesus is telling them the hour has now come. Look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I pray that as we open your word and as we study it together, God, I pray that you'd give us clarity God, I pray that you'd help us to understand exactly what we need to understand in this passage. God, I pray that you would show us, God, the intentionality of Christ on his way to the cross. God, I pray that you'd remind us of the significance of his substitutionary atonement, God, that he would die in our place so that we might have forgiveness of our sins. And God, I pray this morning that every single person that seated, in the, that seated in these seats today, God. I pray that every one of us would come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God. And God, my prayer is that every person in here would leave out of these doors this morning knowing with full assurance that they have life in Jesus' name. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, so there is enough in this passage of Scripture to do sermons for the next three months, but I'm not going to do that for you here in one morning, so we've got a lot of catching up to do. And also remember, there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about, lots of practical application, but for the sake of our study, I want to make sure that we highlight the things that show that this was God's plan from the very beginning. And I want us to see the things off the pages that show us that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that in him we can have eternal life. And so remember that's the goal of this. So I've got three things that I want us to look at this morning in observation from all the verses that we've read. We will we will not cover Everything that you see in these passages, lots of good stuff, encourage you to study it on your own. But for our purposes today, there are three things that I want to make sure that we see and that we understand about Sunday in the final week of Jesus Christ. Now remember in the context of this Jesus has moved back to Bethany. He ate dinner and spent the weekend with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and now uh, the Sabbath is past. It's now Sunday and the crowds that were there to see what he had done raising Lazarus from the dead, they're still there, the Bible tells us, and it says that they respond uh, by celebrating Jesus. And so he gets up, he's making his way into the city of Jerusalem, and they're, they're celebrating it, right? They're recognizing that this must be the Messiah. Now, they haven't fully understood what that means yet. They they haven't really pieced together what it means that Jesus is the Messiah and what he's about to do, but they are certain that this Messiah man is God. They are becoming more certain that, that he is the Messiah, right? And so as he makes his way into the city of Jerusalem, they begin waving palm branches and they begin saying things like, like here is the King of the Jews, right? And they begin saying things and shouting things like Hosanna, which uh, translated means save us or save us now, right? And, and that was their heart. They wanted Jesus to save them, not from their sins, but from the Romans, right? And so I want you to keep that in your mind. So that's the setting and what's going on here. And so what we see first is a defining moment. This is a defining moment in the final week of Jesus Christ. I call it a defining moment because this is the first time that Jesus is going to go public with the fact that he is indeed the Messiah, right? He's going public here. He's he's not fighting against the people. Remember, there's other times in the gospels where he'd perform a miracle and the people tried to take him and, and make him king right then, right? And the scriptures told us that it wasn't time. So Jesus would withdraw from them. He's never leaned into this publicly like he does in this moment. So we see this and call this the triumphal entry, right? So Jesus is entering into Jerusalem in this defining moment. He's going public with the fact that I am, in fact, the Messiah. And just so that nobody misses it, he, he fulfills a, a prophetic word from Zechariah 9.9, right? So he doesn't just walk into the city. Zechariah says that, that the king, the, the Messiah, when he enters into the city, he will enter in on a donkey's colt, right? So a young donkey. So it's very specific. So we see from the Gospel of Mark, John doesn't spend a lot of time in the details for us, but we see from the Gospel of Mark that Jesus tells his disciples, go ahead of me in the city, get a donkey, you'll find one. When the people ask uh, why you're taking it, tell them that the Lord needs it and bring it to me. Because he is he's going public, right? He, he's going to ride into Jerusalem on this. It's always fascinating to me, though, in that story that that they just let him, right? Like, think about that for a second. How many of you have a piece of property or something that if somebody showed up in your yard and started leaving with it and told you that the Lord needed it, you'd be like, you're right, the Lord does. Like, anybody here? No, you'd be like, whoa, whoa, bring, bring my donkey back, man. What are you doing, right? So, But, but that's how it works out because this is God's plan. This is, this, is, this is God's accomplishment of all this prophecy. So Jesus says, today's the day. I'm going public. Like, like, this is a defining moment. Something significant will happen this week, no matter what. Make no mistake about it. When Jesus goes public, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, publicly declaring the fact that he is the Messiah, the fulfillment of Zechariah 9-9, he knows that something significant is going to happen this week, and so do all the people. They just don't know what it is right? But, but, but one way or another, something significant is going to happen. He's either going to ride in and become king right here, right now, drive out all the Romans and, and do everything that we hope that the Messiah would do for us, or he's going to come into town and by the end of the week, he's going to die for the sins of the world. But something significant is going to take place. And in this moment, Jesus goes public, and I want us to not miss that. This is a defining moment in the final week of Christ. Now make no mistake about it, a lot of it's going to happen in between, right? Like in four days, we go from waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, save us, to, to crucify him and kill him, right? And so a lot happens in between there, but this is the defining moment of the final week of Jesus. He goes public. The other gospels, if you want to do your own study, they spend a lot more time and detail on the triumphal entry of Jesus than John does, but, but it is significant in the final week of Christ because he has now gone public in this defining moment. The second thing I want us to see from this text this morning is a declaration of intent a declaration of intent. Jesus, again, he's not shy about what he has come to accomplish. Like I said, they, they haven't really pieced it all together yet. Uh, we have the benefit of hindsight, right? It's easy for us to look at the disciples and the, and the Jewish people and go, how did they not see this? Or how did they not figure it out? Well, well, we now know the end of the story, Right, so we're able to look back on it from of a different angle, right? For them, this is all happening in real time, but Jesus is still letting them know his purpose. Like, look at some of these verses with me. We see this in uh, verse twenty three. Jesus answered them. So when the Greeks they ask him, they want to see him. Jesus says, "The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified." Right, like it's time. Like the everything is set in motion. The, the, the most significant thing at the end of this week is is going to happen now. And Jesus, just as God's laid it out, but, but I'm going to the cross. Look at verse 27. He says, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Jesus is asking a question. He's saying, listen, should I ask God to save me from this moment? No, because for this purpose, I've come. Right, like, like I don't need God to bail me out of my circumstances here. This is how it's supposed to play out. the The week is supposed to end with my death and my burial and ultimately resurrection. Right, and so that's what we see. He's not he's not shy about these things. And then look at verse uh, thirty-two. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I know if you don't know the full context, it still seems a little bit cryptic, right? But with the benefit of hindsight, you can now look back and go, oh my goodness, Jesus was saying, I'm going to be crucified. He's going to be lifted up for the world to see. And he says, I will draw all people to myself. Through that death and burial and resurrection, he defeats sin, Satan, and death and, and calls and draws all people to himself for salvation. And he hasn't been shy about it. Look at verse 33. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus makes a declaration of intent through his actions on this Sunday. He rides into town, he goes public with the fact that I'm the Messiah. He lets everybody know that there's some things that are going to happen to me this week that have to take place because this is my very purpose. And, and there's even more of an underlying significance here than I thought. When I begin to study this week, I recognized uh, that there's a major tie-in to the Passover feast and what's happening here in this moment. So turn with me real quick. Turn over to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, God institutes the Passover and he's given instructions to the Israelites on how they're to make preparations for the Passover. And this is what Exodus chapter 12 says, starting in verse one. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of their persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make their count for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male One year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now, that's the institution of Passover. That's what's happening. From a Jewish perspective, in preparation for the upcoming Passover, this is what is happening for, for, for the people here in, in, in this situation as Jesus enters into the city, right? He says, you're to select for yourself a spotless lamb without blemish and you're to keep it for four days. And at the end of the four days, all the congregation of Israel is to sacrifice their lambs together, right? And then you're to take that blood and you're to put it over the doorpost of your house and God will pass over you with the judgment that he's bringing. So because of the lamb's blood, you'll be passed over in judgment. You're covered by the blood of the lamb, right? That's where we get all that. Here's the significance for where we're at right now. As Christians, we call this Palm Sunday and triumphal entry of Jesus. In the context of the Passover preparations, Sunday, this day, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, this is lamb selection day, You're to find an unblemished lamb, spotless, for four days. At the end of four days, you're to sacrifice it. Four days from now, Jesus will give his life on the cross as our spotless, unblemished sacrifice, right? And so when we say he has a declaration of intent, it's not just what's going to happen, but he's also really given us a picture of why It's going to happen. Jesus is entering into the city, not only proclaiming to be Messiah and going public, but also demonstrating for us that he's going to be our ultimate sacrifice. And that's what we see, last but certainly not least, that this is all about a deliverance from sin. A deliverance from sin. This is where the Jewish people, they missed it. Somehow they missed it, right? Like they saw their Messiah as coming in as a conquering king. When they shout, Hosanna, Lord, save us, they mean save us from the Romans. They mean save us from our troubles, save us from our hardships, save us from our poverty, save us from our illnesses, and and everything else that you could ever imagine. But nobody was thinking, save us from our sin. And that's what all of this was about. It's about a deliverance from sin. Every single thing that Jesus endures this week and his death on the cross and payment for our sin, this was, this was all for a deliverance from that sin. And it's significant that we all recognize this, right? Because the truth is this, Jesus could show up and he could have kicked the Romans out of town. And he could have set up and established an earthly kingdom. And he could have had a line form outside. And he could have healed every person that was sick. And he could raise every single person that died back to life, just like he did Lazarus. And he could have done all of those things that the people wanted. But what Jesus came to do and accomplish was provide for them their greatest need. The need that they didn't even recognize that they had in this moment and that was to provide for them a way to have forgiveness of sin. This was about deliverance, not from the Romans, but from the, but from the worst thing in, in, in all of our lives. The Bible tells us that all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. As a result of that, the Bible also tells us that the wages are death. And not just a physical death, but a spiritual death, a separation from God. We have a fractured and broken relationship with God. And the only way for that relationship to be brought back, to be restored, was for Jesus to come to earth and live a perfect and sinless life. To go to the cross, not as a victim of a circumstance, but on purpose for you. So that he might make payment for your sin, Taking on the full wrath of God, the Bible tells us. And then being buried and raised back to life, accomplishing for you eternal life. So that was the purpose from the very beginning. This was about a deliverance from sin. So those are the things I want us to not miss in this text this morning. There's a lot of little practical things we could talk about. Like I said, we could spend many weeks on those things, but for the the sake of our study, I just want us to see that God loved you so much that he willingly gave himself for you on purpose, for a purpose. That purpose being so that you might experience forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Listen, God isn't sitting up in heaven like some angry kid with with a magnifying glass, right? Trying to figure out ways to, to mess with us. The Bible tells us That he loves us, even while we were sinners, he loved us to the point of giving himself on our behalf so that we could experience eternal life. I don't know about you, but that does not sound to me like an angry God. That sounds to me like a God who loves you dearly and recognizes that in your sin, you are hopeless. And you need him to step in and do for you what only he could do. And that is what this whole story is about. That's what the triumphal entry of Jesus is about. It's a defining moment. It's about a declaration of his intent, why he came, what his purpose was. And ultimately, it's a deliverance from sin. That's the whole reason why God came and put on flesh and went to the cross for you and I so that we might have salvation. Let's pray this morning together. Father, we thank you God, for your great sacrifice on our behalf. God, we recognize this morning that without you coming to earth, without you living the perfect life, without you dying on the cross and being raised back to life, God, we would still be in a hopeless situation. Your word tells us that we would still be dead in our trespasses and sins, deserving of hell and eternal punishment. But God, we recognize this morning that your heart for us is one of salvation. God, your your word tells us that you you desire all to come to a place of repentance. God, your word also tells us it's your kindness. It's your kindness that leads us to this place. So God, I pray this morning that every single person in this room would know how much you love them. God, I pray that they would know that you gave your life on their behalf. And God, I pray that they would know that you desire a relationship with them. I pray that you would move in their hearts, their minds so specifically this morning, God, that they can't miss it. That you'd bring them to the end of themselves and that you'd bring them to a place where they're ready to believe and confess. And I pray that they would ask you to forgive them of their sins, God, and place their hope and their faith in you and you alone for their eternal salvation. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.